you're listening to Wholesaling Inc. episode number 160. You have to be consistent with it. It's a business just like anything else. I mean, if you were to open up a, you know, a coffee shop or something like that, you're not just going to open up the coffee shop and then all of a sudden hope people show up. You have to market for it. You have to invest money. You have to invest time in order for you to see the fruits of your labor in the end. This is game-changing information guaranteed to raise your real estate wholesaling business with actionable steps you can take immediately to navigate the ins and outs of wholesaling and start making money today. Join us as we put our guests in the hot seat and dive deep to dissect their strategies for success to enable you to duplicate their results. Investor Grit presents Wholesaling Inc., the only show dedicated to making you a fortune in wholesaling with your hosts, Tom Kroll and Cody Hoffheim. Welcome to another episode here on Wholesaling Inc. My name is Cody Hoffheim. I'll be hosting today's podcast and I am super excited to bring with you an individual that is just going to absolutely inspire you uplift you and motivate you with his recent wholesale deal. Now, for those of you that are new to the podcast and maybe listening for the first time or maybe have listened to a handful of the podcast, we talk about wholesaling and wholesaling is simply the art of finding something at a deep discount. In this particular instance, we're talking about finding homes, finding real estate at a deep discount that you can then turn for huge profits. And we have an individual, his name is Nate Hammond and he's from Albany, Oregon and he's married, has two kids And we're going to tell you how this real estate appraiser now doing wholesaling on the side has just found his first deal and made a great amount of money in just a short amount of time. He's only been in the tribe since March. Here we are in April. So a little over a month and he's already cashed his first check. And we're going to deep dive that deal today on this episode. So my man, Nate... How in the heck are you, my friend? Doing good, Cody. Glad to be on. How are you doing? So, so, so good. Did I miss anything on the introduction? No, you pretty much covered it all. Okay, kind of fill us in on the details then. Help our listeners understand what is it that got you into wholesaling? I know you're already in the real estate background with being an appraiser for real estate and ultimately what intrigued you and what got you over to start looking into wholesaling? Yeah, so... Like you said, I'm a real estate appraiser. So I would go out and I'd do appraisals on purchases, a lot of flip properties, you know, after the crash and everything. Reviewing the paperwork, I would see kind of, you know, what the flipper bought it for, what their expenses were, what they're selling it for. I'd see the profit margins. And I'm like, man, I'm in the wrong side of this here. (laughs) You know, so the flipping part's a little too involved for me. I'm not very handy at all. I can barely screw in a light bulb. So I, I didn't want to get into the flipping side, but I want to be involved in some part of it, you know, some junction of it. So doing some research, looked for podcasts, came across uh, the wholesaling podcast, did some more research on wholesaling. And that was a little more my style, just kind of not really had less to do with the property itself and more to do with kind of just pushing paper around and uh, being the provider for those flippers, you know, kind of the quick nickel over the slow dime approach. Yeah. And that, that kind of fit my style and my uh, mentality a little more than the flipping aspect of it. I love it. I love it. So married, two kids, what are some of the fun things you get to do with your family? Man. So yeah, married, two kids. I also coach high school basketball. And one of the things, my kids are kind of far apart. One's nine and one's two. So my nine-year-old, he's been growing up with me ever since I started coaching. So I love 
you know, he's really into sports and I love just taking him out and he comes with me to, to a lot of practices and games and stuff and just spending that time one-on-one with him. I love doing so uh, cool. my youngest. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. My youngest is two and he's, uh, his personality is the complete opposite of my oldest. Um, <laughs> just my oldest is really laid back and chill. My youngest is just a little Tasmanian devil and, and just <laughs> rips through everything. So still trying to get a hold of that one, but he's, uh, he likes to stay active and, and, um, we would like to get to a point where we can travel some more with the kids, uh, my wife and I, and that's, you know, a main reason why we got into this is to start freeing up some time down the road. I love that. I love that you shared that because that's exactly what a lot of people are looking for and maybe don't know the exact path or what to take. And there's so many paths out there, Nate. And that's a, one thing that is very true and upfront. And what we love about this podcast is we're going to talk about one of those vehicles, one of those opportunities, those options that can help you create more time with your family, which is ultimately I'm glad you shared because that's what everyone wants. This is something unique that we all want. We all want more time with our family. And now we're just looking for what is the vehicle that allow this to happen. And so let's help them understand a little bit more about wholesaling. Let's go right to this. We're going to go to the no BS, no fluff zone quickly so we can deliver really gold nuggets and value to the listeners today so they can really take something from this and put it into action. So for those of you listening today, please pull out a pen, pull out a piece of paper and get ready to jot down some things that Nate's going to share. Because these are principles that if you will follow and take action on, you too can find a deeply discounted property and make some money on it. And Nate's going to share just how much money he made at the end of this podcast. So let's go through this. What kind of mail list were you mailing to? And were you mailing direct mail, a postcard, a letter? What did it look like? How did you market the individual that we are going to uh, be talking about today? Yeah, so this was a high equity list that I pulled. And it was a postcard, you know, just the same postcard that's in the tribe provided by you guys. Uh And it was kind of weird the way it worked out. The homeowner, she was an elderly woman. She called me off of the postcard and she actually had the property listed for sale at the time with a, a realtor who happened to be her niece. So she called me, you know, through the information gathering figured out it was for sale. And I kind of told her, you said, you know, I, I don't really want to, especially being an appraiser in the area, I don't want to step on the toes of any realtor in the sure. area. Sure. Um, and plus she's under contract with her. So I said, you know, if you're serious about getting this sold, you know, have a conversation with your realtor and I'll be happy to work with you once it's taken off the market. But until then, you know, you just kind of got to roll with what it is you've got going right now. Nate, you've already shared some great wisdom right there. And there's so many times I get asked that as the coach is, hey, we've got this property, but it's listed with a real estate agent. How do I do it? How do I work with this? And what you just provided right there is the exact answer that I would give students is tell the individual, yeah, you've got to work with your real estate agent, whether you want me to work directly with your real estate agent and send you over an offer or whether you call me back when the contract between you and the realtor is expired, whatever that looks like, we've got to do this right. And you don't want to burn bridges and you definitely don't want to undercut any realtors because just that's not the where it's not ethical. It's not legal. They've got it under contract. So what you did was an amazing example of just being true and honest to the things that are in place. So keep going, my man. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. And so, like I said, it was her niece. So the seller was pretty adamant that she, uh, I, I guess the niece was kind of working pro bono and she wasn't going to take a commission, but she had it priced way too high. And I think it was, it started at like two fifteen, two hundred fifteen thousand, and then dropped accordingly from there. And 
when she contacted me, I think it was listed for 185, but it was on the market for about six months. And so, yeah, she, she had no problem with uh, talking to her niece and getting it pulled. So what it was, was the home was built in 1900 and it was like a six bedroom, two bath, 3000 square foot house, just kind of Mickey mouse together from additions over the years. And it's uh-huh. been in her family her whole life. So the value wasn't in the home itself. The value was in the land because the land could be subdivided. And there was a lot of uh, new construction going up actually right across the street. There was a whole new subdivision going in. So I kind of explained all that to her and then uh, told her that I was going to value it as the land, which she actually is the one who brought that. So through the negotiation process, I didn't really mention any of that. I let her talk. And then she started talking about how crappy the house condition was and how she doesn't feel like the house could be saved and that she would, if it was her doing it, she would knock it down and do all this, do all that. So she kind of went the path that I was going to go anyways, but I let her do it as opposed to me doing it because I didn't want to offend, especially since it was in her, you know, her family since the 1900s. I didn't want to be like, Oh no, don't knock the house down. That's, you know, it means a lot to us. So we ended up, we went back and forth, back and forth. She ended up getting her son involved with the negotiations, which is fine because I kind of wanted somebody, she was elderly and disabled. I kind of want somebody to on the outside to make it seem like I wasn't like taking advantage of the situation so being smart. that she was elderly. So, um, so yeah, it worked out. So to cut to the chase, we ended up back and forth, back and forth. We got it. I got it under contract for 140,000 when it was, uh, like I said, it was, it was listed for sale to start for 215 and then 185 when we got it. So it just shows you how much she really wanted to get rid of it. She dropped it $45,000 from, from you know, what just within a couple of days. Right. Yeah. Now tell me this at 140, were you already instantly thinking, man, I've got something here. Were you questioning if it was a deal or were you like, no, this is starting <clears throat> to turn into a great deal. So it wouldn't have been a deal. Like I said, it wouldn't have been a deal at that number if I was just trying to value it as a rehab for the house. But the city, I did some research called the city and the city said you can divide it into three lots. So I guess, do you want me to jump ahead and, and no, tell but you this how is, I, this is awesome. I love this. Okay. So, cause you have some background that's unique, right? A lot of people may not come into this and just instantly know what homes are going for. You have a unique connection that instantly, you know, the values of homes because that's what you do as a living. Now, What's interesting is you already said, like the more the value play in this one is if I can find someone that actually wants the land because the home itself, what I have it under contract with is not a deal. So out of the gates, you already knew, hey, I'm looking for a guy that wants to develop and keep this land. Exactly. Yeah. And it helped. It helped that the that the sellers were on board with that, too. Like I said, you know, that they understood that the value was in the land and not in the home moving forward. And, and I guess I'll get to that, but yeah, the, and yeah, being an appraiser helps because I have access to the MLS. I have access to, you know, a lot of other stuff that might be a little more difficult for, you know, just somebody who has no real estate industry connection to get a hold of. So that did play in my favor a little bit and it, and it will move forward. But so I could have got more and I get, we'll get to how much I made at the end, but I could have got more for it. But what happened was my brother-in-law is actually a builder. So what I did was I, I went to him after I got it under contract. I didn't tell him how much I had it for and asked him if he wanted this because he just sold out of everything he had and he was looking for some more projects. And his lender was actually looking for some more, you know, get his money moving. So 
went to him, asked how much he wanted to pay for it. He gave me a number and I worked backwards from there in my negotiations with the seller. So sorry, before I got under contract. Yeah. So I knew kind of my starting point and then worked backwards from there. And that's how I came with the 140. So he ended up being my in buyer. And, you know, if it would have been a kind of an open bid thing, like you guys teach positive, I could have got, you know, almost double what I made, but he's my brother-in-law and he just had a, uh, a new baby as first. So I wanted to kind of help him out a little bit and keep him busy. Exactly. Keep him busy. Yeah. So you put under contract at 140. Yeah. Brother-in-law ends up buying, which is a super easy connection. It's a great first deal. Let's tell them what that looks like. So when you went to closing and Mm -hmm. check goes to the seller and a check goes to you, what was that check amount for your uh, assignment on this deal? So I guess before I get to that, it kind of one of the pitfalls and one of the the struggles I had with this one was being that it was my brother-in-law who was buying it that was a builder, he had to get a construction loan okay. for it. So what I couldn't do an assignment because I've come to find out that if there's financing on the other end, you would know better than me because this is my really my first one. <laughs> there's financing on the other end. My title agent said that the Fannie and Freddie and all of them don't allow assignment contracts. It has to be a double close. Yep. Yep. Okay. So it kind of drug out a little longer. I had to go back to the sellers and get an extension on the contract because of that, which it was a hard conversation to have, but we ended up making it work. And I told them if we had it set for a certain closing date and if it didn't close by then, so it was set for... I think the end of March was the original. And then I went back and had to extend it two weeks and they weren't too happy about that. And I told them, I said, if it goes back past this two weeks, I will pay you your mortgage every month or in uh, accrued for every week. It goes past that so that they're not coming out of pocket anything. Sure. Like if they're, you know, if their mortgage was $800 a month, I'd pay them $200 a week until it closed after that extension. It kind of softened the blow for them because I knew it wasn't going to go past that unless something really blew up. But it it was, it was a way to get them to, to agree to it and have a benefit for them if I couldn't meet my word. But something you're sharing here that's a value to those listening is the fact that not every deal is going to go exactly how you plan. It's not always going to be like a recipe to build a cake where it's the same process every single time. It changes. Every deal brings something unique about it that tweaks it just enough to be different from the last one. And so this, my friend, will be a great learning experience first and foremost because you learn the double close process, which a lot of people, that's what they're doing anyways is the double close. They close on the property so that they own it and then they just turn around and sell it at that point. And some people are even turning around and putting on the MLS at that point and trying to sell it to a retail buyer. So there's so many ways to do this and it's so crucial that those listening is it's not going to be just one way. You're going to see so many unique things happen in each and every deal. And and this is a perfect example of that. Yeah. So to answer your question, I had it under contract for 140 uh-huh. and um, I ended up cashing a check at the end for $13,353.50. Holy smokes. Hold on. <laughs> There's the victory bell for my man, Nate. So, And here's the sweet thing about this. You've only been doing this for a little over 30 days. 
You, yeah. You, I mean, here we are. You're into your second month of doing wholesaling, and you've already closed a deal that brings in thirteen thousand. I bet as you start to look at maybe your future and what mm-hmm. wholesaling can do for it, you can probably start to see that light, that reality that says, "Oh my goodness, I think I've tapped into something." that allows me to spend more time with my family. Is this not the case as you start to look at your first check already out of the gates, just like this? Exactly, man. And it's, you know, I make pretty good money as an appraiser, but the, I feel like I have a good hedge with myself right now because, you know, the market's up appraising's really well, you know, from what I've noticed kind of direct mail response might be a little lower than it has been in the past, just because of, you know, if someone has anything that's just remotely, ready to sell. They'll just throw it on the MLS, at least in my area in Oregon. It's just crazy right now. And they get multiple bids on it. But, you know, once the market corrects a little bit, you know, appraisal will slow down a little bit and I feel the wholesaling part will ramp up. So I'm kind of, I feel like I have a good hedge for myself, but you know, I make decent money wholesaling, but appraising, but it's a lot of time. And, you know, I made this amount, the 13,000 for this deal. I made it, you know, within a month, but it wasn't you know, a month of 40 hour weeks, it was a few phone calls here, a few phone calls there, a visit to, you know, the property here and to the seller's house there. And, you know, probably equaled out all in all, probably about 10 to 12 hours in the whole deal. And, uh, that's big, you know, if I could replicate that and and continue to do that and scale up, then, you know, that's, that's huge for me and my family. I love it. I love it. I love it. Nate, my man, thank you for sharing the story. There's so many people listening right now that are probably wondering, no way, this is too good to be true, like holy smokes. But also maybe the better part to ask you so that you can let them know, is this just so easy? It's so easy that anyone can do it and it's just unicorns and rainbows and it's just the most easiest thing you've ever done. Is that the case? Not at all, no. (laughs) And it's definitely, it's worth it though. I mean, when, you know, when I cast that check, it was definitely worth it when, uh, you know, when you just rang that, Victory Bell for me is definitely <laughs> worth it because I've been listening to the podcast forever and listen, you know, to all these people getting the Victory Bell rang for them. And I'm like, man, I can't wait for that to be me. And it, you know, it just happened for me. So and that's kind of surreal. you're pinching yourself. You're like, man, that's my bell, baby. Yeah, it's awesome. But no, it's, it's definitely hard work. And, you know, it takes an investment. You know, it, it is a business. It's not a get rich quick thing. It's not uh, infomercial type, you know, sit on the beach all day and collect money. <laughs> You know, it, it takes an investment of time and money to make it work. And I'm at the front end of that. And I, I made my uh, investment back in the wholesaling program within 30 days. Not saying that's, you know, disclaimer, not guaranteed. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it worked for me, but I was willing to put in the time and I was willing to put in the effort and the marketing to make it work. I wasn't just going to sit back and twiddle my thumbs. And because I bought this program, all of a sudden something's going to happen for me. So smart, man. Nate, I love those words. Guys, everyone listening now, it's not easy. It's going to be tough. It's going to give you some bumps and bruises and some challenges and struggles. But like Nate said, at the end of the day, it's worth it. You put forth the action and you too can have a payday just like Nate. $13,353 and I won't forget the 50 cents. (laughs) And the assignment is first deal 30 days into this program, right out of the gates, goes for it. And It goes back to you, Nate, though. You took massive imperfect action. You weren't looking for a perfect plan. You know as well as I do, perfect plans do not exist. It leads you into that analytical like analysis paralysis. And what you did do is just take massive imperfect action. 
You went out there and did exactly what you need to do. And here you are being blessed for your labor. And that was a huge, huge check, a huge win. And now you can double down and put more into marketing and get ready for a a wholesaling business that can start to really take off. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, my end game is I'm not really looking for the wholesaling business to necessarily, I mean, I love my appraising job. I'm my own boss and I work from home and make my own hours and I like the work. I like doing it, but I'm not looking for wholesaling to necessarily replace my appraising income. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, and we just actually bought our first one, use this money to buy uh, investment rental properties to get the passive income to then cover my expenses. and, And then I'm, you know, financially free at that point. And, you know, in February, my wife and I just closed on our first uh, rental property. It was a turnkey down in uh, Indianapolis. So Uh we're, you know, we're in Oregon, it's in Indy and I'm going to visit it for the first time (laughs) at the end of, so I bought it sight unseen, but you know, there's a lot of due diligence involved. So I'm going to visit it for the first time the end of May and um, looking forward to that. So if anyone's in Indy and wants to meet up, feel free to contact me or if you have any deals for me down in Indy, uh, buy and hold stuff. Let me know. That's awesome. That's awesome. Nate, my man, I want to thank you so much for being on the show and sharing some wisdom quickly before I let you go. I want to see what would you tell our listeners, those that are maybe brand spanking new into wholesaling, those that have never done a deal. Maybe what would you do if you were starting all over, which is pretty easy for you. That's 30 days ago. (laughs) (laughs) But if you were starting from ground zero, what would you tell the individuals listening saying, how do I get started? And what would I want to know if I'm just getting started? Well, so, you know, maybe to clarify a little bit, I've been in the tribe for about 30 days. I've been trying to do the wholesaling stuff for probably about a year now, but I had one deal from my year, right. of trying to do it on my own, which didn't even cover how much I spent on that compared to the 30 days. And, you know, so I guess the one thing I'd say is be consistent one of the main things when I was trying to do it on my own without the support of you guys and the help in the forums and everything is I would kind of, I'd send out a mailer and then I'll just wait for people to call thinking it was going to, it just works as magically as that and not send out a follow-up, you know, a couple months later or a couple weeks later and maybe not follow up on the leads I did get. So you have to be consistent with it. It's a business just like anything else. I mean, if you were to open up a, you know, a coffee shop or something like that. You're not just going to open up the coffee shop and then all of a sudden hope people show up. You have to market for it. You have to invest money. You have to invest time in order for you to see the fruits of your labor in the end. So I would definitely say be consistent and, you know, look for a mentor. Love it. Love it. Love it. What about a book? What's a recent book that you've read lately that you're like, man, I love this and I want to share this with the world? Yeah. So I know that uh, required reading in the tribe is the four spiritual laws of prosperity, but I'm so new to the tribe that I haven't even finished that book yet. So it, <laughs> I can't, re- I can't recommend that one yet, but I would say one that I've read that kind of shifted my whole mindset. And you know, this isn't anything groundbreaking was rich dad, poor dad um, Robert by Robert Kiyosaki. Kiyosaki. Yeah. That got me, you know, thinking business ownership and passive income and just kind of shifting your whole mindset away from working for money and, and having your money or you know, work for you and trying to get to that financial freedom. Now, the coincidental thing about this is as we are speaking, Tom is actually 
sitting with Robert Kiyosaki as we speak, hanging out with him for the weekend. So that is uh, something cool. So not only is Rich That's Dad awesome. Poor Dad an amazing book, and it is game-changing for a lot of people. It helps them with their mindset and really just create the real picture of what real estate can do for you. And what a great book. Great, great, great book. And he, yeah. he shares it in such a way that captivates tons. In fact, millions. That's why he's a New York best-selling author. Yeah, exactly. Well, perfect. Nate, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. There are so many gold nuggets that I know they're just going to get a lot of value out of this. For those of you that have listened to this podcast, it's now your time. It's your time to take action. Some of these things that were shared that Nate has spoken about and and the gold nuggets and the value that he brought to this podcast, I hope you have taken at least one thing. Gary Keller has a book called The One Thing, and I hope you take at least one thing that you're currently not doing go try it. Put it into practice. Take massive imperfect action. Don't wait for a perfect plan. Go out there, fail your way forward, but take action today so that you can get your first deal and look what it can do for you. You could find your first $13,353 check. It could be right there. It could be the next phone call away, but it doesn't happen unless you're willing to take action. If you want to go over and get inspired and uplifted by many other people that are doing this across this great nation, go over to wholesalinginc.com. That's wholesalinginc.com. Click on the reviews and you'll hear stories after stories. In fact, majority of them now videos. You can see the individual and hear their story step-by-step, how they were able to get deals and what it's done for their lives. You can do that. You can be the next story that changes your life. If you want help doing it and building a successful wholesaling business, you can click on and book a call right from that website. Book a call with our team. And if we like what you have to say, we just might invite you to be part of the tribe. Until next time, take care, everyone. That's all for this episode. Your next step to success is to continue the conversation over at InvestorGrit.com by joining the mailing list, as well as get your chance to book a strategy session to learn the systems and become part of the tribe with your hosts, Tom Kroll and Cody Hoffheim. We'll see you next episode with more ways to make you a fortune in wholesaling. 